From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, laser scleral microperforation and vitrectomy for the cataract surgeon at ASCRS 2019. These holes will decross-link or soften the sclera at the four quadrant. First this. I know many of the audience of a scene from here also watch my live conference interviews on ewreplay.org. These brief video programs highlight the most important news from major ophthalmology meetings and number in the hundreds every year. But if you haven't watched ewreplay.org recently, you've got to check it out. iWorld Replay has really upped its game with super video production and fantastic content. ewreplay.org. We've just renovated and we'd love to have you over. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery in San Diego. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorldTV.com website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today we hear from Robert Ang on laser scleral microperforation and from Kevin Miller on vitrectomy for the cataract surgeon. Welcome to this iWorld Live event. I'm here with my, my good friend, Robert Ang. I'm excited to talk about what we're gonna talk about. It's a, it's a cool topic. Let, let, me, let me sort of set things up here. Uh, I had an earlier conversation, an earlier interview, where we talked about uh, the, the configuration of zonules in a 3D model and what actually happens uh, during the accommodation process. And I asked about therapies and whether this model could generate uh, any insight into ways of treating this. And my answer was, ask Robert Ang. So uh, I'm, I'm now asking you, um, set, set this up for me. And then I'm very interested in, obviously, I'm extremely interested in what you were doing. So uh, the procedure is called laser scleral microoperation. So we want to do the treatment on the sclera. The theory behind this is accommodation. So when the eye accommodates, the anterior zonules relax, the anterior capsule moves forward, the posterior zonules contract, the posterior capsule moves backward. So this forward and backward movement of the capsule elongates the lens. But when we grow old, uh, one of the theories is the zonules don't move as much. And why is this? Maybe the sclera becomes more rigid, not allowing this movement. So the UBM study says that something's happening. So the theory behind the laser microporation is to make micropores on the sclera make sort of uh, little holes using an erbium YAG laser, and these holes will decross-link or soften the sclera at the four quadrants. So supernasal, infernasal, superior uh, temporal, inferior temporal, avoiding the major blood vessels. And by softening this, you allow the zonules to move again to restore natural accommodation. So our, uh, what the treatment wants to do is not touch the conventional areas that we do 
presbyopetreatment, which is the cornea or the natural lens. We're not going to touch those. Therefore, this is ideal for patients who are emetropic, you know, pe people who have no far vision problems. So there's no refractive shift. So that's what we want to work on. And uh, we have data now on primate eyes. So monkey eyes, we started with monkey eyes. And this is what I'm going to talk about with you. Oh, so really, really, really interesting. Before we we talk about the 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 primate studies, walk me through a procedure. Okay, so the laser, um, of course, there are like the first generation laser, and there, we're working on the next generation laser. So the first generation laser, it's a handheld device attached to a a module, and we have this device that. Erbium YAG laser, we hold it up, put a speculum, anesthetic, we hold it on top of the sclera near the limbus, so there's some markers, and then the laser fires for 10 seconds. We do one quadrant for each eye. Uh, and then we finish, we put a collagen gel so that it lessens inflammation and lessens pain, and that's it. So, so you, 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 were, you were treating through cons, you're not doing a... a no, no dissection of cons. Yeah. But in... Uh, We've, of course, we've done preliminary human eyes, but in the monkey eyes, because the conch is thicker, we had to remove the conch. Whereas in the humans, we do transconjunctival. So tell me about these 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 primate treatments. What, what which which primate did, did uh, you it's a macaque primate? So it's a monkey eye. Uh, the the studies were done in Singapore. Dr. Job Meta was the one who we were collaborating with him in doing this and. Uh, basically, what we wanted to do is, number one, test clinically with the eye trace what happens before and after treatment, and also histologically. So we would sacrifice the monkey at one month, six months, and we wanted to find out what the treatment does to the sclera, inflammation, wound healing, and all that, because we want to know if this is being reversed or regressed over time and what happened. So those are the two primary aspects, the clinical and the histopath or laboratory work that that's been done. Well, don't don't leave me hanging. Okay. What did you find? So first, we we mounted the monkey on eye tray. So, as you can see, some sometimes it was difficult, sometimes it was easy, and we wanted the eye trays can take um, accommodation extended depth of focus measurement. So there are two humps. One is the true accommodation hump, and one is the pseudo accommodation hump. And we we found out that uh, the monkey eyes who, who are at least like seven months old or or older, um, the true accommodation changed by about five diopters, and the pseudo accommodation by about two diopters. So about seven to eight diopter change in extended depth of field. So that's we were surprised at that much. But this monkey, maybe humans, will react something yeah, else. Yeah, it's so, a tremendous number. Yes. Yeah. So, but uh, first we saw a clinical effect, which is measurable by one of the machines that we use actually on humans. So. After that, we were sacrificing the monkey. So first is we wanted to see inflammation because any treatment causes inflammation. And at one month, all the inflammatory markers were gone. So we put steroid drops and we had this collagen gel. So it helps with wound healing. The second thing is um, the, the pores, which go around 80% depth to the sclera, we wanted to know if the fibroblasts grow back and these fibroblasts, will they make the, the sclera stiff again? 
And so far, the fibroblasts that grow are not the myofibroblasts that cause stiffening. So the histopath shows that they're just wound healing, uh, regular wound healing. So uh, regression doesn't seem to be a problem because if they're myofibroblasts, then it will, it will stiffen again. So, so far, as we sacrificed the monkeys later on, nine months, there weren't any of these uh, fibroblasts that will be harmful and will stiffen again the pores. So, clinically, we saw eye trace data, which tells us something's happening, beneficial in terms of accommodation, wound healing, uh, inflammation is down, which is good, it resolves, and there's no regression effect because the myofibroblasts do not grow back into the pores. Oh, really? Fascinating. Uh, it, does the technology look like it works the way that you intended it to work? Um, I yes. The good thing is, uh, we first we wanted to know if it we can soften the sclera, but there's no effect because we are we are doing something in one part of the eye where we're indirectly making the effect on the other part, which is the inside. And as you know, there's no way it's an indirect measure. And so far, we see an effect which is very encouraging for us. That's why we want to move forward and do more early uh, human trials next. So uh, one step at a time, but we need to know also the histopathy. You know, we, cannot, we, sure. we, we, need, we need to know certain things in the eye for safety. And, and, and have you begun human trials? We had some uh, training on some humans in Southeast Asia, but not a lot, just, just to test the laser and its effect. And we also see some accommodation. We also, also use the eye trace. But of course, we don't have the wound healing and the inflammation uh, studies on a human. We needed the primate uh, eyes to provide us that as a necessary backbone for safety reasons. This is really, really, really fascinating stuff. You know, to, to, to some extent, there's a, there's a history of, uh, of doing scleral weakening surgery. Yes. Um, the, the results were, were, were disappointing in, in, the, in the past. Yes, so there were some scleral procedures where it's more invasive. You had to put something in the sclera. It's bulky. This one, first, it's not as invasive as the other treatments, which is good. Number two is we have uh, a machine that has some depth control, so we know what we're causing, and we want to do the homework of checking the histopath uh, results because who knows what we might be causing. And so far, um, safety is a primary concern, and because it's established that we're not causing something, we can move forward. Now, granted, I, we're 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 a long way. It sounds like yes. from from commercialization yes. uh, uh, of a of a product. But I mean, just if if you had to guess, as you have to, because I'm about to ask you, uh, how long it it, it, it that time frame is going to be before we may have something we may be able to use clinically? Um, I think when if if we time this, the timelines for our study is we probably will begin something near the end of the year for humans. So my approximation is two years, not only for, for safety, but for effect, because people are going to ask, does this treatment regress, right? I mean, how, how much treatment do you do? How much effect we get? And it, does this last six months, one year, two years, more than that? So uh, all of those factor into longer follow-ups. We're, we're, we're kind of excited. Really yeah, exciting. no, this is fascinating stuff. I mean, I, I don't know if to tell you, more than justified in being 
excited about this. I mean, this is really, really cool. Um, I, 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 I regret only that you're not closer to the monkeys because I, I bet that's, <laughs> that's interesting. John's yes. going to have fun with that. Correct. Um, so I want to thank you for, for, for bringing this really, really cool topic to us. You always bring cool topics, but this one's it's a really, really cool topic uh, for sharing it with us, uh, for explaining how it, how it works. Uh, I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you, and stay tuned for more results. I'm here with Kevin Miller. Kevin, we're uh, going to be talking about uh, some interesting things. Did I say interesting? I meant frightening things. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to be talking about vitrectomy techniques now. I have to tell you that I share the anxiety that a lot of uh, our membership, um, I'm sure, does uh, when people start talking about the relative advantages of doing pars plane of it. That's just not a, a, a set of techniques um, that I'm I'm particularly used to doing. Let me start out by asking: Is anterior vitrectomy a good enough technique? It can be, depending on how you do it. Um, so there, uh, with anything, there's a good way and there's a bad way of doing it. So, so you never want to do a wet cell sponge vitrectomy, for instance. You never want to tug on the vitreous. You always want to uh, separate the aspiration and infusion lines uh, for a thousand reasons, but that's always good technique. Um, and you can do a very excellent vitrectomy through a limbal approach. With some with some nuances, and and, and so the primary one is we don't really want to we don't want to be irrigating the endothelium. So you want to keep your irrigation a little bit low, but you don't want to be pulling vitreous up, especially if you're doing the vitrectomy probably in, in the most common setting that our membership would be doing it, which is caps, capsule rupture and cataract surgery. You don't want to take what may be a relatively small hole and make it bigger by dragging vitreous up, enlarging the hole, and then tugging on the vitreous. So. You can do a, an anterior vitrectomy without doing that, right? And you can also do a, a parsipate vitrectomy without doing that. So talk to me about the, the advantages you've alluded to them uh, of a, a parsipate of it. Make the case for why it is worthwhile for, for me to go that, that route. And then maybe you can act as a therapist here and, and help <laughs> me with my, my anxiety. Yeah. So the primary advantages of the PARS plane of vitrectomy is that it puts the aspiration cutting port into the vitreous cavity. So rather than bringing things up, you're bringing things down. You're bringing it out of the anterior chamber and you're preserving the opening that you've already inadvertently made in the posterior capsule, not enlarging it. So, so that's actually huge because you want to preserve capsule. You, and many of our cataract cases gone wrong. We can actually get a lens in the back. I just did it this week. I popped a hole in the capsule trying to get subincisional cortex. I, I immediately put visco agent in and I was able to I was able to put a lens in the bag, despite a you know a relatively bad complication. So by by going through the pars plana, um, you bring the vitreous back. And it's, it's really as, as simple as that. You're already separating the infusion and the aspiration lines. So by separating them in space by putting one in, in the vitreous cavity, you're just gonna maintain the vitreous in the vitreous cavity. So what what are good first cases? I don't think uh, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Uh, a, a, a a a topical case in in which uh, I've uh, uh, a ruptured capsule or a dialysis of the of the zonules, and already my anxiety is high because of that. 
uh, is a good first case for, for me to start doing parts plane. But how, how should I start out? You're absolutely right. So the, the ideal first case is blocked. Um, it's controlled because of that. Patient's not going to feel it when you do the sclerotomy. So I think an ideal first case would be like a lens exchange case. Or maybe a complicated cataract case where you just don't feel you can do it under topical. You're going to do a block anyway, just for a mm -hmm. cataract case. It's a block case because doing that sclerotomy is uncomfortable. It, it hurts. And if you're doing it in a squishy eye situation, which is going to be the case if you're, you know, if you're doing it in cataract surgery and you break capsule, squishy eyes and, and, and topical anesthesia don't really go well together for getting the sclerotomy done. So I would say if you're going to plan it, do a lens exchange eye. You have a firm globe. You make your sclerotomy early and it'll be pressurized and you'll, you'll get in. And you just have to make sure you're measuring the appropriate distance. Maybe it depends if it's a pseudo fake guy, maybe two and a half millimeters posterior to the limbus is, is appropriate. Aim towards the optic nerve, don't aim you know, towards the lens. So, and, and, and now you've got a hole in the eye and you don't have to jump to using trocars and all the fancy stuff that the VIT people do. Just a single stab and that's big enough for your particular vitrector. That's, that's key, make sure it's not too small and you're trying to jam the vitrector into a, in a hole that's too small. Yeah, uh, no, they, they, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. And it, I, I assume that it may be worth my uh, while now to spend a uh, little quality time with my, my vitro-retinal colleagues and, and uh, watch them do cases? Perhaps, or just go to a pig, pig lab. Um, you can get one of Stuart Stoll's model eyes in practice. I mean, there's, there's a thousand ways. You can take one of the ASCRS labs. We have some excellent anterior vitrectomy labs and phaco labs where you could practice that. But it's not difficult. It's more of a mental hurdle than it is a physical technique hurdle. I mean, once you get the hole and you get the vitrector in the eye, it's done. That's, that's the surgery. Just the rest of it is just taking out the vitreous now. Yeah. Well, uh, this, is, this is helpful stuff. Uh, I, and, you know, I... As we always say, I mean, we, 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 we hope for the best, but we plan for the worst. <laughs> right. uh, Kevin, I want to thank you for, for, for bringing this, uh, this, frankly, upsetting topic to us uh, and uh, for making it uh, clear and in a way that I think that I can probably live with. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you, as always, for being so very generous with your time with us today. Robert Ang is the director of the Refractive Surgery Department of the Asian Eye Institute in Makati City, Philippines. Kevin Miller is professor and the Colocatronos Chair in Ophthalmology at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA in Los Angeles. Ask questions of Dr. Ang, Dr. Miller, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.